Welcome to the Wolf Whistle, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Welcome to the Wolf Whistle. Welcome to a special edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast which interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. Today, I'm joined by John Purdy, a former forward uh, at Wolves in the late 80s. Um, And actually, I'm I'm quite excited about this, not only because he's a mate, but because uh, this is the actual first podcast I've done in over 12 months where... Uh, I'm actually face-to-face because normally I've been doing them over the phone because of the pandemic. But we've got John here today and he is promoting his new book, Purds, Booze and Footy. John, how are you, mate? I'm very well, Jason. Very, very good to see you again after so long. Yes, very, very good to see you too. So you've got a new book coming out. Now, um, what was uh, what was interesting, uh, you was one of the very, very first podcasters and then we done your probably nearly two years ago now, your full story. Um, and, and like I said, listen, some great stories, but you've chose to, to write a book now. Um, so uh, what, uh, why, why has it been so long? Why hasn't this book come out 10 years ago, John? Why now? <laughs> well, I've been writing it for about two to three years, keep picking it up and putting it down and getting a few chapters done and then losing kind of the will to do it. And then with lockdown coming, I've had, a little bit of spare time so I thought I'd you know use the time sort of you know in a, in a way to it's really just to tell a tell a backstory of the realities of life as a footballer in the 80s and sort of not a very successful one really just to give, give <laughs> well, it's true um, to give the sort of the real things that go on behind the scenes it's not so much about football as in you know matches it's more stories nights yeah. out um you know, daft things that I did looking back, um, you know, things could have been different. But when you're young, you know, you do make decisions that kind of affect the rest of your life. And there were there were lots of things that happened that kind of um, sort of didn't go to plan because of my own uh, decisions. But also things happened that I wasn't in control of. And, yeah. you know, you just kind of, I just think it's it's interesting if you're interested in football and, you know, back in the day when the money wasn't that great and it, you know, I think we were far more approachable and um, in touch with the fans then. And yeah. certainly I used to go to the, well, all the pubs really around Wolverhampton and sort of... You still do? Uh, <laughs> yeah, just not, not so much Wolverhampton anymore. But yeah, um, yeah, I still enjoy a night out. But it's, it's all about um, just sort of wanting to... And, and the other side of it is as well, um, there's not many people really that can leave something for their kids and their grandkids yeah. to, to sort of remember their the father and grandfather and I just wanted to do something because I, th- I think the story's worth worth telling and kind yeah. of um I want to leave it for for my kids really that that was the other thing um because I know very little about my great-grandfather or grandfather or, and probably very little about my own father's life so I wanted I wanted to do it for that reason as well I mean that's interesting because obviously your two boys I believe they're both living in London now don't they they both got their own careers yeah. um and you know actually they didn't funnily enough uh, you started obviously your career in in London pretty much with, with Arsenal, where he was in the youth team. And what's really interesting, John, about your story is, I mean, some of the players that you played with. Um, I mean, this book is entitled "Purds, Booze, and Footy," so you can imagine, um, obviously, 
what happened in especially the younger days. But yeah. you was in, you know, in and around that team at Arsenal was Paul Merson, Tony Adams, Graham Ricks, um, Kenny Sansom, Kenny Sansom, yeah, lots of Charlie Nicholas. Yeah, you know, all all kind of normal normal lads really. That, but there was a very much a booze culture in football back back in the day, and it was kind of regarded as normal. Um, it's obviously turned on its head completely now where yes. you know they don't um you know with camera phones and what have you we'd, we'd have all been hung some of the stuff we used to get up to you know by fans being able to see it but it wasn't regarded as unusual or i don't don't feel i did anything different to anybody else yeah um you know but some people can can get through it and get on with it better and and still you know the the, the, the likes of brian robson who's captain of england and probably the best player in the country was also apparently one of the best drinkers in the country. Yeah. But it didn't affect him too much because he was fit as a fiddle. He'd get up and be apparently at, at the front in training, last man in the bar and first in training. Whereas it affected likes of me. I'm quite, kind of quite heavy built. Um, whereas you get the likes of Tony Adams, who, you know, it's well documented his problems with drink and poor yeah. person. They're built differently and we're all built differently. So some people can get away with it and some people can't. And I'm, you know, you look at the kids, the kids coming through nowadays. As you know, the scholars, and they're so well looked after. You know, if they don't make it in football, it's because generally they're not good enough. Yes, it's not because they've gone off the rails or they've kind of um, not dedicated themselves to the game, which is kind of part of the book as well. Is sort of saying, you know, well, for kids nowadays, they've got every chance because they've got the ability. You know, they're going to be allowed to to use that ability and it's not going to be a, a lack of fitness or any other reason it's just because they're not good enough that they don't make it and I suppose that's an interesting point really because when you was a young man you was brought up in, in Corby in Northamptonshire and all of a sudden then you, you, you're you effectively in the bright lights of London in the big smoke you're a fish out of water um, and you don't really feel and you've, you said this openly on the first podcast we did you didn't feel that that you got the support you needed and, and you're quite right John because listen if you get selected in the youth team for a team like Arsenal clearly ability isn't isn't you know you, you had all the ability but do you think if you'd have got more support off the pitch at that time and and wasn't allowed to really get up you know to your own devices and maybe mm-hmm. get into not the wrong crowd as such but you know the older players who were you know leading people astray perhaps do you think that your career might have gone a different path I firmly believe that, yeah. I firmly believe it. I remember um, a few years ago, I played in a charity match with, uh, sorry, against uh, Derek Statham, Dave Bennett, who was at Coventry, Cyril Regis, um, bless him, um, and a few of the other lads, and they were all saying, oh, we wouldn't change, you know, anything that's happened during the career, our careers. But look, they all they all were successful players, played yeah. at the top, and had and had very good careers. And I said, well, I actually I would. Because I would like to have looked, be able to look back and say I gave it the best shot that I, you know that I got. Yeah. Um, and I honestly can't say that. Um, I can't say I, I did made the best of my ability. And of course, it you know it hurts a little bit, but that's down to me ultimately. But as I said earlier, I don't think I was doing anything different. Or I, I you know I liked a night out, but I don't think I was doing anything different to anybody else. It's just that it didn't suit me as a as a person. Um, so, you know, I, 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 that's that's sort of a core of it, really. But there's lots of other other stuff involved. And I think, whereas football is different today, you're quite right in 
if a player gets released by Wolves, it's you know it's not going to be the fact that he's he's, he's drinking or etc. You know that they are managed differently off the pitch uh, yeah. completely. You know they are. I'm not saying footballers weren't athletes in your days because obviously you were very fit, but especially now. It's it's a different game. They're conditioned differently. What they eat, what they drink. You know, they are they are athletes now. That they're, they're built differently. Um, and 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 I suppose that's the the frustrating thing from your point of view. And as much as it was a completely different era, um, it was the the booze culture, as you say, was acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and and the older players, if they was taking a young player out for a drink into the bright lights of London, they technically wasn't doing anything wrong. Whereas now, you wouldn't see Ruben Neves having a pint in, in the Mermaid. You wouldn't yeah. see... Oh, you might see Joe Martino having a vino, but yeah. you ain't going to see Fabio Silva, a young man, having a few pints after the game. It just doesn't... It's a different culture, isn't it? Absolutely d- different, yeah. And, you know, it it was acceptable. It was normal. It wasn't anything, uh, you know, unusual because it was just normal. I followed my peers who were, you know, Charlie Nicholas, Kenny Sansom, Graham Ricks, who were all great lads. And, yeah, we used to go out for a beer together, but... You know, it probably wasn't something I should be doing at 16, 17 yeah. uh, years old, you know, when I'm trying to make my way in the game. But it, like I say, you know, all the other boys were, were doing the same. I, you know, uh, and, it, and you know, Paul Merson had his problems. Tony's had his problems. Um, so, you know, there's, there's two sides to it. I'm still doing OK. I've got good health and, you know, I'm quite successful at what I do. So it's not it's not like I'm, you know... Uh, would I swap with Kenny Sanson? Probably not. Would I swap with Tony Adams? Probably not. Would I yeah. swap with Paul Merson? Probably not. Even though they had fantastic football careers. Yeah. It's about a life, you know, it's about sort of getting through life. And it, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have ups and downs in life. Well, and it's how you deal with it, isn't it? Well, listen, um, I think we, we all get problems, um, whether it be, you know, mentally, physically, you know, and... Uh, someone asked me this question once and I asked the same to Carla Kimi when I did his podcast and if you could get all your problems and put them into a bag how you know at the worst you know your lowest lowest point and and you know would you swap it with the man up the road with his problems and you, you know yeah. would you well we don't know do we because you can only deal with your own circumstance yeah. and what you you've got to overcome problems and I'll be honest sometimes I struggled yeah you know when I was young like up until the age of 16 I was only new success. I didn't know any sort of downside. There wasn't any. Yes. You know, I played for England at 15, signed for one of the biggest clubs in the country. And it was only when I left home and kind of went to London that obstacles started getting put in the way and people made life difficult. And I know I know for a fact it was quite normal in football that it's called character testing, apparently. Yeah. But there's a borderline between character testing and sort of bullying. Yeah. Um, and they do tend to you know, pick their targets or whatever and kind of see how you how you react to it. And I didn't react very well to it so because I wasn't used to any, yeah. any obstacles. I didn't know what to do. I got no one to talk to. There was no agents, no... My family are not from a football... You know, they love all love football, but they're not... None of them have ever been a professional footballer before. I was sort of the first one in the family. Uh, so there was really literally no one to turn to. And, yeah. you know, everybody in football looks after themselves ultimately, which is probably a simmer in most of most life you know that's yeah. how it is so. 
And you actually describe yourself, which I wouldn't describe you as this, John, but you did, a journeyman footballer. Now, after leaving Arsenal, um, you know, eventually you found your way to Wolves, but then Wolves were in the lower leagues at the time. And yes, you did drift around the lower leagues, you won't mind me saying that. Um, and, and I suppose in one respect, you know, when you've started at a club like Arsenal, you've got the dreams of everyone because just after you, well, you know, a few years after you left, they won the league yeah. with 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 players you played with, Michael Thomas, uh, Tony Adams, Paul Merson, etc. You know, they they won the, the the you know the top flight, and you think maybe I could have been a part of that. But then, like you said, journeyman, you're on your travels and you're going from club to club. Yeah. Well, yeah. The reality was when I left Arsenal to go to Wolves. I wanted to play first-team football. I was only 18, so I've got no divine right to, but I felt that I could. Um, and I think I did well for a couple of years at Wolves until, mm. you know, um, I, didn't, I didn't see eye-to-eye -eye with Graham Turner. <gasps> Gossip! Uh, well, it's true. Um, it's, no, it's no secret. There's a few of us that would say the same, but... Yeah. Um, I didn't... It's not... And I'm not knocking Graham because he did a good job for You're Wolves, but it yeah. just didn't suit me as a player. Um, I wasn't... I didn't... Actually, when I look back now, I just didn't fit into a four-four-two formation, yeah. which is what everybody played. Um, so I ended up getting played on the wing, and what they wanted was hard, you know, tracking back, hard working and wide that players. Is and not I, you, is it, John? I'll be honest. No, it's not me <laughs> at all. No, and I, I, we've said this before. I, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to play as a number ten, as is now, but we didn't have them. Yeah, you know, and I get it. You know, in the lower leagues, you're not going to play that pretty football. Um, especially back in the day, the pitches weren't what they are now. Um, so it was very much a percentage game in the lower leagues. Get the ball in their half, you know. Get get we we got bully and Muchy to chase after it, you know. And bully was phenomenal. So I, I I get it all, but on a personal level, it didn't suit me. And I think if I had been able to stay at the top level a little bit more, the football would have suited me better because yeah. you know they got the got it down and passed it a little bit more, but is what it is and then the honest truth is I settled really well in Wolverhampton I loved it loved the people obviously I married a Wolverhampton girl and my boys were brought up there um, and, I, and my heart was a bit broken when I left Wolves I didn't really want to leave and I went to Oxford and Oxford are in the what is the championship now and I left yeah. Wolves when they got promoted from the fourth the old fourth division so I'd actually gone up um, a couple of leagues but I didn't really want to go it was like I, I didn't want to leave Wolves but I had no choice um it's a case of having to pay my mortgage and you know survive and and, and, I, and i did but it was always like half-hearted because i didn't really want you know kind of i lost my love for the game yeah. really at that point um i've been through you know quite a bit a bit of a lot of ups and downs and problems and still trying to make my way in football but i think by the time i got to sort of my early 20s i realized i wasn't going to make it as i thought i was when i was yeah. 16 and I kind of gave up really, and for a couple of years I didn't really want to play. Although I played, you know, for Oxford and then had a spell at Brentford, Shrewsbury. Everything just sort of came to the point where I thought, you know what, I've got to find something else to do. I wanted to get married and settle, and you know, the journeyman thing was true because it was a case of, you know, have boots, will travel, and whoever was going to pay you enough to to play. That's what you did, and I, I'm I'm not alone in this. That was normal, um, but when I came out and went semi-pro, I got a bit more control, and the money was pretty much the same as I was getting in the league, and then I got into a decent job, and 
kind of it didn't really it didn't turn your life upside down if you left a non-league club yeah especially in this area there's lots of good clubs you know um and i played for pretty much all of them so you could literally just go to another one without uprooting the whole family and you know and and especially because the money wasn't that great you're uprooting your family it's not fair on on mm. them and so yeah i made that decision to get out in my i think i was 24 when i came out of the pro game and went semi-pro and i must admit my the the 10 years i had as a semi-pro I'm, I'm much more enjoyed and, and that's yeah that's the frustrating thing because um you know you are every season every pre-season you're constantly having and you didn't like this john you was quite honest with me that you you have to prove yourself and you have to you know a new manager comes in or even the same manager constantly having to prove yourself to win that contract yeah and so when you're left into the the, the part-time game, as you call it, it's it's I suppose that pressure was off to a to a certain degree, would you say? And you know, but once <laughs> just going to another point, underground Turner Wolves were very effective. Um, you know, we, we we marched our way up through the leagues. It, was it a pretty style of football? Yes, at the end of it, you got body scoring the goals, so I suppose it was. But the midfield were getting cut out a lot of the time. You know, I remember. Um, I think it was Kevin Ashley telling me a story that I know he was just after you, but you know they didn't really use the fullbacks. You know this was sometimes it was a quite unattractive long ball game, and to you as a number ten effectively, which is a luxury player, especially at that level, mm. you'd have been cut out of the game, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I say, I ended up because I I didn't want to run in behind like Bully did and much he did. I wanted the ball to feet so I could bring other people into play or you know turn and and run at people, which. Which was my game, you know. That's that's how I played. But he didn't want to play to feet, so it was kind of I either had to change the way I played, which I I just struggled with because I've yeah. always been brought up to play football to feet and you know keep possession, and that that was how I played, and that it was kind of the opposite because it wasn't about anything to do with possession. It was all about um, playing to strength. Well, percentages. It was about gaining territory, getting into their half, yeah, long throws and yeah. all that sort of thing. As I said earlier, it's successful for him, so I'm not knock it, knocking yeah, of that. Course. I'm just saying, I mean, I lo I love Wolves, and I didn't want to leave, but I knew it was coming because, yes. I, I, you know, he was being successful. He didn't like the way I played, and I couldn't fit into what he did, so I knew I was going to leave. Um, it was just quite a tough, you know, thing at 21 when you'd played. I'd played kind of well from 18 to 20, those two years. I played every game, or well, yeah. even you know, I played over I don't know 115 games or something. So I played quite a lot, and then all of a sudden it just sort of came to a halt. Yeah. And then you've got to go again, you know, and try and find that. And some people have got it. They can just, they don't take rejection. They don't take any notice of it. They just keep going and, uh, you know, eventually make it. But I it affected me. You know, rejection kind of affected me. So yes. I found it difficult. And it's not glamorous, is it? I mean, yes, it's glamorous if you're playing for Wolves now, glamorous if you're playing for Arsenal now. But back then... Um, like you said, you're proving yourself for a contract. I mean, what what was your wages at Wolves, John? If you don't mind me asking, if you do mind me asking, I'm still asking it. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, well, I mean, when I first went to Wolves, I went on initially on trials. Sammy Chapman um, asked me to go, and I went for a couple. Of, I mean, I worked really hard during the summer. I was fit as a fiddle when I turned up. Um, but the club were on their uppers, weren't they? They'd yes. got no money um, when the Batty brothers were were running it. Um, even the lads were there that that. Had, you know the likes of Andy King and Alan Ainsco, yeah, that were more experienced. I'm sure they were on decent, decent money, um, but they didn't last long because they had to get them off the wage bill. So it was a case of getting younger lads, 
and I, I've got it's in the book anyway so um, I got £100 a week basic £100 a week appearance and it was 80 quid a win and 40 quid a draw and on, in that first year we didn't win many so I bet you was uh, hoping some matches you was winning and drawing weren't you just yeah, to get that exactly, money yeah. half time draw take that one out <laughs> then, but, yeah can have the uh, money at half time yeah um, and by the time I left I got I was on up to about £200 a week you know basic plus yeah. the appearance and so it got better, but it was never going to retire on it, was I? Let's yeah. face it. So, but it, the the glamour thing was always there because you know being a professional footballer is every every boy's dream, isn't it? You know, and I. But at the time, it was normal for me. It wasn't kind of, you know, I didn't think I was realising a dream. I I was basically making a living. That you know that, and that's the difference. It's only now when I look back and I've got to know, you know, the likes of yourself and other other Wolves fans who you know would would give anything to have played for Wolves and you yeah. but at the time you kind of still hoping okay yeah you can keep <laughs> hoping on I think <laughs> and, and well, I, I, actually John and I love this story because you uh, lived just off the Technal Road when you played at Wolves and there was no point in driving to the game um, and we'll explain why in a minute because you lost yeah. your licence yeah. now uh, so you used to walk, we'll talk about that in a minute yeah. but you used to walk across West Park didn't you to get there I did yeah um, like for training or, or on a match day I just used to walk across from Clark Road I lived with uh, my landlady which basically ended up I went out the landlady's daughter and subsequently married her and had two children with her so you know it was um it was a good thing in a way, yeah. but I, uh, yeah, I, I, I lost my license. Uh, it wasn't that year actually; it was a year after I lost my license. So I was walking because it just didn't make sense to have to drive and park and that red then, Volkswagen yeah. Polo. And I wanted to have a couple of beers in the players' bar afterwards, so yeah, I think yeah. quite sensible. Oh, that's you know, it. I didn't have to drive back. So, but you walked across West Park, and you did say that the supporters they'd be you'd be mingling with them yeah. as you would. And there'd be, you know, you'd be just in general chit chat, and they didn't even know you was playing, did they, John? No, not at all. No, just, just you know, chatting like how I think it'll go today. Cross, probably get hammered with shite. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what you want on here. Uh, yeah, um, and I and I just had to say, yeah, well, I don't know really, and kind of, yeah, I'm looking forward to the game. Did anyone ever used it. to say he was that crap guy with the mullet? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, there's a funny story that I haven't actually put this in the book, and I'm right. because it's come to mind afterwards. So my mum and dad used to come up and watch. Bearing in mind, I'm only 18, so I'm still a boy, really. Yeah. Um, and my, and if any, any there was a bloke who was apparently giving me a bit of stick in the old John Island stand, the Steve Ball one. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, you would know it was you because my mum hit him with an umbrella. Oh, oh really? <laughs> Did she? Yeah. yeah. Oh she my had, God! She had her umbrella rolled up, you know, because she got in. Um, and, and he was he giving you some stick. stick, so she stood up and leant over and whacked him with the umbrella on the back of his head. Ah, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Purdy. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know that myself. And yes, there is a there is a story as well. Um, I think this is in the book where uh, you was uh, seconded to play in a reserve match, and you decided to drive to the game that night. Yeah. And your car, uh, lo and behold, set fire at the lights, didn't it? Yeah. Well, what happened was I was uh, playing in the. Res- I'd, I'd had an injury, and a, uh, Sammy asked me to play in a game so I could play on the Saturday. So I think it was a Tuesday night. Um, so I drove. I'd, um, I'd got an apartment by then. I'd left the landlady in the year after. I was living on the Compton Road by the the Royal Oak pub. Yeah, great uh, Just pub. across the road from that. Um, so I could have walked, I suppose, but I think it was winter and raining or whatever. So I drove. 
and I got to the, the lights where you turn left to Molyneux on the ring road um, and it just conked out, stopped working and I didn't know what, what to do. I'm, um, after the, I'll tell you the story, but after the event my dad said, did you, when did you last put oil and water into it? And I went, I didn't know you had to. <laughs> oil and <laughs> water? Yeah, I thought you just put petrol in it and that was it. But anyway, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, it conked out. So I walked the rest of the way and I got Greg Fellows, who was the, the reserve and sort of youth team manager, and just said, could you get the minibus and tow it back for me? And he went, yeah, yeah, no problem, birds, leave it with me. I'll sort that out. And then I came in at half time and he was standing there just sort of shaking his head at me. And I was like, what? And he said, uh, I got there, he said, but there was two fire engines there putting it out. <laughs> it was in flames. So, so yeah, that, I think that probably, yeah, why I started walking. And when we did your initial podcast, that was entitled Tuesday Club to Saturday Afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the Tuesday Club, obviously, you was you was infamous around Wolverhampton for frequenting the bars. In fact, you could probably still to this day do a guided tour. But not only that, after you trained on the car park on a Friday, it was your job to help stock and run the players' bar, wasn't it, John? Well, I took the job on because the club had shut it down because they got no one to run it. Um, as I said earlier, the you know there wasn't the money around that there is now and they just literally with that short staff they'd got no one that was prepared to stay after the match and and run the bar for them so um i went to see the secretary then keith pearson and just asked him you know would it be okay if i kept it going sort of to try and just give the lads something to go to after the match and he said sure what you're planning and i just said i don't really know but a piece of um, yeah, well, basically, I got. I just used to after the old uh, Friday morning uh, car park sort of training session when everybody had gone. I'd go off to Blake Moore's in my car and just load it up with some yeah Kestrel lager and some Kestrel. Cheap, it was awful. Yeah, I just got the cheapest that there was and some uh, some bottles of wine and for the girls and some pop and what have you for the kids. So um, and then just sold it for like a. a you know, a pound for a can or whatever. It did you make a profit, much. John? I know. Well, I did make a profit, but the profit um, I kept all season. Well, t- t- um we had we had a Christmas do. At yeah. Rock- Rockies generally um, did that twice, and an end of season do for the lads. So I used to keep the the profit in a pot, and I would have the odd beer out of it because I think I deserved Good it man. for doing it. But um, not. I kept most of it and got a couple of strippers at the Christmas do's and fucking neck. Yeah, I can. So tell, I, the, I won't tell you who got up on the stage. No, don't. So that's the title: Perds, Booze, and Footy. So yeah. Perds. So I take it there was a few birds along the way, but we can't talk about that. So you all. <laughs> no, that's just my name. That's oh, sorry, Perds. Sorry. So uh, you as well. Um, before you obviously trained on the car park, you also trained at Castlecroft. And now and again, if you'd all meet at the Molyneux, you'd actually go running to Castlecroft, wouldn't you? Uh, pre-season we did, yeah. It was part of the pre-season sort of fitness um, regime that we would run from the Molyneux to Castlecroft Stadium. I don't know, it was two or three miles, something yeah. possibly. Um, and the first few days I, w- I would run with Danny Crane. He was the only one I really knew to talk to because he was good friends with Charlie Nicholas and I'd got something to... He was with, at Celtic with Charlie Nicholas in his, yeah. his younger days. So we've got something to talk about and, you know, just jogging, having a, having a chit chat. And um, I got just to the, just to the entrance of the Castlecroft, you know, where it goes, there's a bit of a lane that goes up to the, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. The, to the stadium. Um, and just got there 
and a bus came past us and about 15 of the lads came off the bus like <laughs> led led by Digger Barnes and Scott Barrett who were both we just we just pissed ourselves laughing you know so you was running doing it the honest it way yeah uh, and they were all on the bus. the bus yeah they caught the bus outside the Molyneux. And, and I think the days back then, I think, you know, uh, I suppose the innocence of it all, it was it was good fun. And these are memories that can never be taken away, aren't they? Absolutely. And that's, again, going back to that's why I wanted to put it down in writing so that my boys can have a laugh and, you know, yeah. all right. A lot of there is a lot of heartfelt stuff in there as well. But yeah. the, I'm hoping that it, it's an enjoyable read, you know, some yeah. good, funny stories. And, you know, and it just give, it does give somebody that's interested in football, you know, a kind of, you know, a, a look into what life was like then, you know, when they're probably thinking it was all wonderful and, you know, a dream. It wasn't all wonderful, but some of it was, you know. Yeah. So. And one of the nights we've got promoting it is, <clears throat> Doubt for your diary, guys, 26th of July, uh, 2021, obviously this year, 26th of July, we're down at the goalpost, which is now the Leaping Wolf. Um, we're there from seven o'clock onwards, and and obviously I'm going to be doing a Q and A with John, and uh, talking about his book um, and selling your book as well, John. Uh, so you're looking forward to that because the goalpost is one of your former haunts, isn't it? Mind you, we could have done it any pub in Wolverhampton, and at some point you've got yeah. drunk in there. There's a story. No, the go- the goalpost actually. We we used to go there for lunch. You know, if we we're in pre-season, and we were doing a morning session, and then we'd be doing an afternoon session uh, as well. We'd go down for a for a bite to eat and a you know wouldn't be drinking it at that point be honest but, no that's the truth and then <laughs> then on a you know when it when the season settles down and you're doing your tuesday club thing when they've got no match yeah. or a day off on the wednesday then we'd, we'd start there with a few beers and a game of pool and what have you and i remember the first the first week that bully signed actually took him to the goalpost to have a game of pool and a couple of beers because he i was i used to drop him off at his sister's on blackburn avenue he, pro- he probably won't remember this but he wasn't driving for a bit. I won't go into why, but um, I used to uh, pick him up and drop him off at his sisters who he was staying with. I think yeah. going through a bit of a relationship problem at the time, which we've all been through. And um, so we, we were in the goalpost and I'm playing pool and and then my wife-to-be was my girlfriend at the time, came in to meet me to, uh, you know, we were going to carry on and go out. And Bully, she sat we're all around the table and she ended up sat, sat next to Bully and he was talking to her for about an hour and then uh, Julie came over to me I was still playing pool and she came over and said who's that bloke and I said oh it's uh, Steve Bull he's just signed for the club she said he's been talking to me for an hour and I haven't understood a word he said <laughs> bearing in mind she's from Technol she's not like she's from, she's from but I said I know I can't understand anything he says either to so. be fair to Steve he did come with subtitles <laughs> I mean, listen, it, yeah, he, he used to say in Andy Much up front, he said, listen, you know, they couldn't understand each other no, at all. No. And I think that's probably why it works so well. Um, but what was interesting about the Tuesday Club was, um, you know, Graham Turner, it was before the days of, of emails and social media, thankfully, because now if you've seen one of the Wolves players out on the piss in town, everyone would, everyone would get to hear about it. But back then, um, I think because... It was so successful on the pitch. Graham Turner said, you'd be out on a Tuesday. By the Thursday, the mail sacker before with Wolves fans or people writing in, oh, I've just seen him in the, on the beer again. Da, da, da. But he said he turned a blind eye to it because on the pitch he was doing the business. Yeah, and it, it, and it, did, it did sort of gel, gel the squad as a, you know, as a, as a whole. We, um, obviously, you've got old, some of the older lads would come out for a few and then go home to the missus or whatever. 
but you're bearing in mind it was Tuesday. We weren't working on the Wednesday. We weren't playing. Yeah. So you know they've got the day off to to recover. We had a good drink and a, you know, a good laugh together. And I think it helps if you if you like each other, you go that extra extra mile for someone, don't you? If you if you don't like someone, then you're not particularly going to put yourself out for them. But yeah. you know, because they were they were so close, um, we all got on and had a good good time together. Then I think it worked on the pitch and it kind of kept rolling on from there. And one of your compadres was Ali Robertson, who we've recently had on the podcast. Now yeah. Ali, to be fair, legend at West Brom, played about six thousand games for him. Come to Wolves. And then he got involved in the Tuesday Club straight away, but he took it to the next level and he was ending up in Birmingham, weren't you? In his Porsche? Yeah, yeah no, well, following his Porsche, but anyway, that's another thing. But yeah, um, no, Ali, because we, we used to just go around Wolverhampton, you know, up into town, Kipps Wine Bar and then uh, Snooker Kipsies, Club. Kipsies, flipping it, even yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and there was a Snooker Club, I'm trying to think of the name of it. But anyway, we had to go there because they used to shut at three, didn't they, the pubs yeah. in the afternoon. We went and played Snooker or Pool. And we could carry on, and then when the pubs reopened, we'd be, be off out again. But it was only sort of around Mermaid, Rockies, you know, that, and then up to Eves afterwards. And that was the normal sort of thing. And you know, you'd start off with all of us, and it would drift down to me on my own at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Still like that now, John? Uh, um, yeah. And then when when Ali came, obviously Ali came as a um, a coach or whatever under Brian Little to start with, so. He was a little bit, we were all a bit wary of him because he was older than, us. probably, I don't know, Ali's probably 12 or 13 years older than I was at the time. He was about yeah. 34 when he came to Wolves, something like that. And I was 21. Uh, a lot of the lads were, you know, only a year or two older than me or similar sort of mark. So Ali was kind of the, the elder statesman. So there was a bit of a distance to start with because he was on the coaching side. But when... Uh, Brian Little got the old tin tack and Graham Turner came in then Ali was sort of put back as a player only and it took yeah. a week or two for us to sort of accept him and we weren't sure and all that but anyway he started coming out with us and then he sort of said um, you know do you fancy a bit of a change after a few weeks like we're all up, up for a change you know to see somewhere else so um, we used to go off to a place called The Odd Spot in Birmingham, which had live music on in the afternoons. All the Villa lads, the Albion lads, the Blues lads all all used yeah. to go there on a Tuesday. Um, and, you know, it was great. Obviously, b- being young men and sort of young women were around thinking that we were all wealthy. I mean, we weren't, but... 1,500 quid a week. I know. We didn't couldn't, get around, couldn't get around in Birmingham for that now. Well, we did, and obviously we never enlightened them that we weren't wealthy. We let them think yeah. we were, so... Um, so it was it was quite an interesting day. Let's put it that way. And I suppose got, they couldn't uh, Google you anyway, could they? And they couldn't they see how Google now. <laughs> they couldn't see how low walls were in the table. No, no, we didn't tell them anything. So you know, I'm not because you get sexy, you sounded a bit sexist then. Oh no, uh, no, you, know, you can't do that. These no, days. no, no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Women know everything about football, didn't you know? Oh yeah, no, they do. <laughs> Um, no comment. So, um, uh, oh, actually, and what's very important, John, is um, so with with the events that we're going to be doing, obviously yeah. surrounding the sales of your book, um, very kindly, you, you are donating some of the profits to a uh, proportion of the profits to charity. And the charity you've chosen is Breast Cancer. Now, obviously, my story, people know it. It's, it's a very important charity to me, but it's also uh, an important charity to you, isn't it, John? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, and I think... Um you know that the well the the reality is my uh, ex-wife um contracted breast cancer yeah. probably going back a year or so ago now 
and thankfully she's okay and um, she's had to have a mastectomy and have yeah. a rebuild and what yeah. have you but uh, apparently she's okay but Good. it's not just her obviously I know about Lucy yes. and what have you and you know I feel for you with that but it's there's been sort of so many yeah. uh, stories and cases and pe you know other people that have been touched by it and I just think it's a it's a well worthy cause if we can help just yeah. by you know just a little bit then you know, if we can save one life at the end of the day, it's going to be worth doing. We so. can. Well, I'll give you some statistics very quickly, guys, because uh, breast cancer, believe it or not, does affect males as well, uh, although it's very rare. So men should always check their cells. But women, 55,000 women in the UK each year get diagnosed with breast cancer. So that's a 1,000 women each week sitting in front of a doctor or an oncologist being told they've got breast cancer, and 11,000 of them women die. So that's one in five women die who do get breast cancer. And early detection is diagnosis because where breast cancer is different to other cancers in women is once it becomes secondary it becomes terminal so once it leaves the breast area it will either go to the liver lungs brain or bones and that's the path it travels through the lymphatic system and if it does leave the breast area into the lymphatic system uh, it does uh, and goes to other organs once it's secondary it does become terminal so that's the importance young you know ladies men etc always check yourselves if you ever feel anything as tiny anything abnormal anything please go to the doctors very very important so that's the message from this and the other message is your book john can be bought at john purdy j-o-n-p-u-r-d-i-e johnpurdy.co.uk it costs just 10 pound um which is absolute pennies there's loads of stories in it obviously from your time at Wolves, from your time at arsenal from your time at kidderminster when you went on that cup run and you scored that 25 yard screamer against birmingham city the blues we all like scoring against the blue i mean that goal to be honest john um i mean we, we all seen it on match of the day what a finish that was i mean is it one of them where as soon as it left your boot you knew it was ending up in the top corner yeah, well, pretty much, although the, the keeper, Ian Bennett, at the time, he got a hand to it, so I was a bit concerned he was going to save it. But, <laughs> um, yeah, luckily, it, it kind of flew in, and I, it was just, just... We had one of those seasons at Kitty. We had some good players and lads that were at Wolves as well. Um, you know, big Chrissy Brindley played a few games, and Paul Granger was there with me as well at the time at Wolves. He never got in the first team. But, he, you know, you've got players that went on after that as well. Richard yeah. Forsyth went on to have a good career. Uh, all the lads were, were were good players, and um, you know we just gelled. I don't know if you've ever played in a team that just kind of everything sort of works. You, you know, know I haven't. Got, you um, know I haven't, John. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> the balance was great. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It was all out attacking football. Uh, Graham Orner, who was the manager, would rather win four three, you know, than win one nil. That was his sort of mentality. He wasn't, yeah. He wasn't scared to to concede as long as we were, were scoring more than the opposition. And it was an absolute pleasure to play in that team for a couple of seasons. Um, and obviously we won the conference and got to the fifth round of the FA Cup, which is quite a feat really for a non-league team to get oh, that far. It's only the one before the quarterfinals. Massive, so, and then yeah. you played West Ham next game, didn't you? Yeah, we lost 1-0 in the fifth round, which was, the game was a stalemate really. Um, uh, and Lee Chapman scored, scored the winner, but... Again, on that in that game, I felt I should have had a penalty right at the end, but it, you know there was no VAR or any of that, so yeah. it, it's given or it's not given, and that, that's how we we played, wasn't it? So there was lots of highs in your career, John. I mean, do you want to talk about Chorley? No, not really. Okay. There's so nothing. anyway, <laughs> you know the you know the story of Chorley. I, I um you know it was an an awful time for the club, yeah. and Graham Turner had only been there a couple of weeks, and he kind of changed because we were doing okay under Brian Little, and we were playing a different way. 
and Graham came in and obviously it worked long term but in the first few weeks he got a lot of players who he was trying to find out about he was changing the way we were playing I knew for you know I knew from his reputation at Shrewsbury and then you know that he was quite a not a long ball kind of merchant so yeah. I, I knew deep down it wasn't going to suit me as soon as Brian Little left and they said Graham Turner's coming in I knew the writing was on the wall really um, although you try and sort yeah, of, of make, make I, I, I kind of had that feeling yeah um, but I was still playing and still sort of part of it until he got himself um, you know players that suited his system in which is fine um, so I was injured actually when we played Chorley in the first two games and then in the third game he more or less begged me to play and I, I had a cortisone uh, injection to be able to play which you know I would never recommend to anybody no. Um so that was that was you know I played and I was awful and the team were awful and we lost quite rightly really um, and you know that was the first quarters at one of the first no I've had more than that so I had a couple of quarter zones at Wolves then I, ha- I I got asked to have one at Kidderminster a bit later in my career um, and I went I went to see this specialist big Asian chap called Mister Chan or something I can't remember yeah. his name Ch- uh, Chana something yeah. like that um, and he held me down and he got this needle out which was about six inches long. Um, you sure it was you know, a needle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a yeah, sec. No, wait, it's a family I'm, show, John. I'm sure it was. Yeah. And he and he stuck it into my knee, kneecap. Yeah. Um, and I like my reaction. My other leg came up. I, I, kicked, I, I kicked him straight in the bollocks. Like, oh really? <laughs> and he, so it hurt him more than it hurt me at the time. Oh god. Uh, I mean, listen, cortisone injections. Uh, you know, you wouldn't think they'd happen at that level. You know, but but they did. They just. You've been playing yeah. through injuries, but I didn't mean to bring up the Chorley game. But yeah. John, to be you know, in all seriousness, I have read uh, the book or most of it. Um, John sent me the chapters, some absolutely fantastic stories throughout his career. Obviously, supporting a great charity as well. So we've got the event to recap coming up, twenty sixth of July, two thousand and twenty one, seven pm at the Goalpost. Hit me or John Purdy up on Twitter, and uh, we'll let you know how you can come and get tickets, etc. And if you want to buy the book now, it's actually been delivered to your house this Friday. So if people buy this week, they will receive it next week. www.johnpurdy.co.uk. John, once again, thanks for your time on the Wolf Whistle podcast today. Really appreciate your support. Thank you for the great service you did to our club. And you are always welcome to come back on the podcast. Thanks, Jason. Enjoyed it. Cheers, mate.